We've all enjoyed seeing Wayne Rooney score free kicks for England over the years, but not quite so much when it's at the River End and it's sending Norwich City to a 1-0 defeat. Welcome to this week's Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast. Unfortunately, we've got another 1-0 defeat to reflect on, but hopefully things aren't quite as negative as that sounds and uh, we can there's, there's certainly plenty to talk about and there's certainly going to be plenty of transfer talk again I am Dave Freezer. we also come to you on Future Radio 107.8 FM alongside Paddy Davitt Connor Southwell and Tony Thrussell in the wake of that 1-0 defeat to Derby at Carrow Road in the early kickoff on the Saturday so the other results are, are still rolling in as we record, uh, Paddy, if I can come to you first and just get a little bit of a feel for, for Daniel Farkas' reaction to it all. I mean, speaking to Ben Gibson after the game, he generally seemed to be of the opinion that they were pretty unlucky to, to have lost that game. Well, they were. They were, but, but ultimately um, they lost it because they're not clinical enough in front of goal and, and two 1-0 defeats underlines that. It was basically a continuation of a theme in terms of what Daniel thought. I mean, he almost... Uh, what's the what's the phrase I'm looking for? It was almost uh, Mystic Meg on Friday because he basically said what the one thing he wanted to see moving on from a, a reasonable performance at Bournemouth was clinical edge in the final third, the right weight of pass at the right time, you know, that kind of brutal as he uses the phrase and again used it this afternoon after his after watching that element from his side and sadly it's absent at the moment. Um Sixty-six percent possession again. I think this afternoon and all that territory and really David Marshall's made two excellent saves late on. But you know that and a kamikaze penalty miss, um, which we'll come on to. Could you say Norwich were really battering down the door? They wasn't really. I mean Curtis Davis has marshaled that back line very well. Echoes of Bournemouth in terms of you know five strong across the back and can you break us down? And for a second week running, Norwich couldn't break them down. So Daniel's feelings were one of frustration, I think. Um, But he said he couldn't really criticise his players too deeply because they did a lot of the things right that he was looking for. Um, But ultimately, I think the payoff line from him, and I I wouldn't disagree, you don't score goals, you don't win football games. And two weeks running, they haven't done that. So that needs to change rapidly. Yeah, um, I think the... The feel for me is if if it's a bit first season under Farker at the moment, isn't it? You you can see the groundwork is there. You can see a lot of the the good play and the build up and stuff is there. But this isn't a transitional season. Fans aren't going to accept being told this is a rebuilding job and things like that, are they? Or, or do do you agree with that, Connor? No, I, I I don't think they will. Um, particularly after you you can't go out and and, and by the, the the caliber of players they have, Ben Gibson, Jordan Hugill, um, which are well, Ben Gibson certainly a, a fairly short term fix, I think. Um, with then to then come out and say, look, we we having to rebuild again, particularly when they've said um, and and were given so much leeway in the Premier League as well, which I think it, you kind of have to consider because fans had to suck up a lot and um, were, were told to be patient during that really really tricky spell, and um, I think they're well within their rights to to sort of demand improvement but in terms of performance I felt there, there probably wasn't too much more Norwich could have done other than scored really and um, I'm sure we'll come on to the penalty miss but for me that's that's where the game is is well turns essentially because that goes in Derby open up and, and suddenly there's there's more space for Norwich to play in so um, in terms of performances you have to say the last three halves of football they've, they've been the better side in um, again probably as, as, as Paddy touched upon not clinical enough um, but at, at this stage of the season the fact those performances are there probably 
um, indicate that the results will follow hopefully but uh, of course it's the lack of confidence and the stuff that, that these sort of results can breed which is the concern um, but no I, I, don't, I don't think and, and certainly looking at, at social media today which is the, really the only way we have to sort of gauge how fans are feeling that they aren't going to take a, a rebuild and um, it's it certainly feels like a fairly pivotal three games after the international break coming up now because um, I think fans are at a stage where they've they've been asked to be patient and, and wait for, for a few months now without really seeing any sort of rewards and um, they're, they're going to have to sort of improve soon um, to, to get fans back on side, I think. The goal, Tony, there, I mean, we'll come up on, uh, we'll come around to how it sort of came about, but the actual strike from Rooney, it was... You know, sometimes you just got to look at it as a as a neutral, haven't you? And, and appreciate that you know we, we were seeing England's all time record goal scorer today, an absolute legend of football, a global star, and we saw him bend a lovely free kick into the top right corner. I thought you were going to say bend it like Beckham? There. <laughs> no, um, well, Pookie scuffed it like Beckham from the <laughs> penalty spot, didn't he? Yeah. Um, well, yeah, it was it was a privilege to see Rooney. Not obviously not at his world class best, but we were talking earlier saying how. You could see the quality still there, his touch, mm. his range of passing and his football brain. He's just pretty much probably above everyone on the pitch. Maybe Buendia could get to that level if he knuckles down, stays at Norwich for a few more years. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, um, as soon as he lined it up, David said on, I think it was Thursday in his preview, Yeah. Um, what you don't want to do. Well, do you want to quote yourself? Uh, I could probably <laughs> cut this bit in, but I said something like um, in our sort of predicted 11s preview piece the one uh, we do a key man don't we so I was talking a bit about Rooney and said you, you still can't really look past him but the one thing with him on the pitch you don't want to do is concede free kicks in and around the box and uh, yeah. yeah and you, you could sort of see it coming couldn't you, you see the wall line up you see Krull yeah. bending right at the other end and you see this massive gap and as soon as he pings it into the top corner it's game over really because what five minutes left three minutes normal time um and Norwich, I mean, it was looking like a nil-nil before that, wasn't it? And I said before the game, you don't see many nil-nils in behind <laughs> closed door games. And we nearly did, so maybe next time. Mm. <laughs> yeah, there was certainly plenty of decent flashes. I mean, he's 34 now, so obviously he's not quite as, as mobile. But, um, I mean, him playing up front was a little bit of a surprise before the game, wasn't he? Because he's been playing in midfield quite a lot. Yeah, he has. He's, he's been sort of the, the deeper defensive midfielder as a rule in a, in a diamond I think Derby had been playing and, and it was a very pragmatic setup, and and that's to be expected I think after they lost 4-0 last weekend to Blackburn and it was always going to be a case that they were going to make themselves very difficult to beat and uh, again I think Paddy's right I think they probably did look at the way Bournemouth set up and frustrated Norwich and um, and, and they did that with, with real joy really and it wasn't anything particularly complex it was a, a bank of five a bank of four um, really really compact really tight didn't allow Norwich players to pick up space between the lines and, and made themselves really difficult to, to beat but you know on, on the counter they were they were excellent and Rooney was the focal point of that and Tony Spahn I think in, in terms of mobility he doesn't probably cover the, the amount of, of yards that perhaps he once did but when they get this ball in the ball into his into his feet he can link up play well and there was a moment in the first half where he spun a ball out to, to the right and, and Holmes and then got it back and, and sort of scuffed the volley and, and that for me sort of showed um, his quality so um, it, it was uh, a setup I think that was probably to be expected and um, I guess the, the, the wider concern is that Norwich have, have probably failed to break down a, a very defensive sort of system two weeks in a row and, and that's going to be the concern for Daniel Farker I think and 
if I'm honest, I think that's that's probably how the majority of teams coming to Carrow Road will set up. I mean, look at the next two games. They've got Wickham Wanderers, a newly promoted side who definitely are, are going to be pragmatic and, and, and attritional in, in their style of play. And then Ita Karanka and, and Birmingham City. And, and we all know how he likes to play and how he sets his sides up. So certainly in, in the next two games, they're going to face sides who, who are going to come to Carrow Road and and um, not shut up shop because I, I don't think Derby necessarily did that, but but defend resolutely. Um, and it's all it's going to be about how Norwich respond to that challenge and how they pose the questions. Um, which again, to be fair, I think had it not been for for David Marshall or a team of Pookie slip, then maybe it's a little bit different. They they did create chances, and it it was a a matter of being clinical today rather rather than at Bournemouth. It was probably chance creation. So um, positives, but yeah, I I, I still felt. From an offensive sense, it, it was a little bit muddled. Yeah, they, it was two cracking saves from David Marshall, to be fair. The one from Hugo, particularly late on, I mean, to tip it around the post. I really like how determined Hugo was to get onto that. It was a cross from Skip, wasn't it? And um, that, that was a powerful header. He tipped it around his post. But the one from Max, that's going towards the, the roof of the net, isn't it? So so fair play to, to David Marshall, former Norwich keeper, of course, made, uh, made over 100 appearances for Norwich, I think, in what, a couple of years, something like that. So uh, he was a pretty, pretty popular goalkeeper on the, on the whole when he was here. But um, yes. Uh, right, so Pad, let's, um, Tony's mentioned him there, Mr. Buendia, um, and transfers generally. Um, no Todd Campwell involved again today. As we record, Ben Godfrey hasn't been confirmed, but we're expecting it, aren't we? But um, did, was Daniel asked much about Wendy? Because we saw a pretty, hmm, what's the word, <laughs> stroppy performance. Uh, but but still, he looked like the one who was going to uh, unlock the door, didn't he? Yeah, no, he was um, on the whole. You know, he he felt it was uh, some positive signs. He he basically on that whole Todd Emmy thing. Why was Emmy back and Todd wasn't? He said. Don't read into it that Todd's away and there's offers on the table. That isn't the case as we sit here recording it. Um, he just felt it was the type of game where it would suit a Buendia rather than a Cantwell. Uh, he even went on to say, like, Emmy's that kind of street footballer in the little tight pockets of space. And we saw elements of that in the first half and I yeah. thought he was quite bright um, and then lost his way a little bit and got a bit frustrated. Um Whereas he felt Todd is Todd is more of a you know it's more of a technical kind of passing type game. He didn't think that was going to be the case today. Now you could say, well, why is he not in in the eighteen? But that's a, that's a different topic. But he, he clearly feels that of the two, Buendia has maybe knuckled down a little bit better. Plus, he felt this would be a game that suited him. Um, and I think on the whole, yeah, there was enough to work with there for me to feel that if they can just navigate this remaining sort of thirteen days of the window and keep him in the building, then. And more importantly, keeping focus thereafter, um, whether that would be a, a temporary truce, and we'll we'll see how it things pan out again in January, Emmy. Hypothetically, they need him. They need him in this side because you know it hasn't worked today. But I think over the entire piece, and Emmy Buendia in 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 and around Norwich's creative pivot creates goals and creates assists at this level. He did it two years ago. He's a better player now than he was two years ago, even though it was a patchy Premier League season for him. Um, they need him in the they need him to stay in the building because with Dal out, Steepman I didn't think convinced today. Um, you know Mario is an option there, but can you hang your hat on Mario Vancic as your your number ten for the entire duration of this season? I don't think you can. Buendia for me could be the difference, and um, you know today was a first step. Hopefully, if, as, as I say, if there's nothing comes in terms of concrete interest between now and the end of the window, to maybe. 
working through these issues they've got currently in the final third, which is you know a bit of a toothless lack of clinical edge. Um, you certainly improve your chances of finding the answers with Buendia, that's for sure. Yeah, interesting times. Um, he's clearly still the one who make can make the difference. Um, Todd, we have to see. I, I don't think Todd would have really fitted in with that today because it was quite scrappy on the whole, was it? Derby would bang up for it because, of course, they came into it in bad form. They'd lost all three, conceded eight, only scored one, but... You know they're up and running now, aren't they? They only got a point less than Norwich after four games. So we head into this international break, and we're going to talk so much more about about transfers throughout. Um, central midfield, Connor. What did you make of Lucas Rupp and Oliver Skip as a pairing? I, I thought there was probably potential there, but it does lack a bit of height and muscle, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And um, I, I guess that's maybe the thinking behind why Stephen was was favoured ahead of someone like Vrancic in that 10 position I guess to, to try and offer that balance but to be fair to them I, I thought it was fairly effective I mean Rupp is is the legs isn't he and, and Skip is, is a ball winner so in terms of the, the partnership you want and if you're not going to play Kenny McLean then, then I guess Lucas Rupp is, is the natural option um, and it's, it's interesting now that they've kind of pivoted away from that sort of deep creative playmaker I guess someone who sort of sets the tempo like a light and I like Tribal did at times, maybe not to the same extent. Um, Francic as well, I'd, I'd put into that category. So it, it probably changes, um, or that's probably shown. I think how Daniel Farkas maybe changed his thinking about that position in particular after after the Premier League. Um, but just thought it was very functional. They, they supported play in in, in the attacking phases, um, offered protection in the defensive phases. I thought defensively Norwich were, were pretty solid today. Beyond. Obviously, that that run by Jason Knight that, that Lucas Rupp has, um, has has stopped and Rooney scores from the subsequent free kick. Um, there there are a couple of moments they got in behind Gibson and Zim, Zimmerman as well. But as a as a structure, that, that defensive setup looked um, a lot more balanced and, and and probably a lot better than I think we've we've seen for a while. To be fair, so um, yeah, certainly potential I felt with those two. But I, th- I think you're right. I think it's it's going to be interesting to see what what Sorensen can offer because he does look like a a big physical player and. Um, if he can assert that on the championship, then then that could be a real option. But of course, we haven't seen anything of him yet, so it's it's really difficult to to sort of see what he can bring to that midfield mix until we sort of see him in the flesh. Yeah, I like Skip today, and he's quick as well. He, he does get across the ground, and he uh, put out a few fires, which Alex Tetty would have been proud of, I, I think. And maybe his use of the ball wasn't quite as good as as he'd have liked to be. There was one moment in particular when he. Um, I think it was Wendy and Aaron's had done well in the in sort of right back area, and then he had the opportunity to get Pookie away, and he messed it up, didn't he? And sort of scuffed it out for a throw, and he was he was very frustrated with himself. Um, so Ben Gibson comes in for for Godfrey, obviously, but, um, with us all expecting him to to become an Everton player for a you know club record initial twenty five million, which fair play to Mr. Weber again. That's some decent negotiating, isn't it? Um, you know, I, I think we we all. Uh, agree on the potential there is with Ben and, and that he's achieved a lot so far but I, I still think 25 million at this stage is, is decent value for him um, given that he, he made a fair few mistakes for goals during the Premier League last season um, but um, Ben Gibson is the future for Norwich City Paddy and I think he he was pretty happy with his debut on the whole and I, the thing that I that caught my attention more than I expected is that he is decent with the ball at his feet isn't he I, I, I had him a bit more as a uh, I don't don't want to be uh, sort of offensive to Grant Hanley, but I, I had him more in the mould of a sort of traditional um, direct centre back, you know, who's more going to be sort of kick it, clear it, head it. But he he has got a bit more to him than that, hasn't he? Yeah, fair comment. Yeah, I think Middlesbrough's academy has got a reputation for developing mm. that type of player. Um, 
down the years and he's obviously come through he's a Middlesbrough lad um, born and bred no I thought it was a, a very positive first step both on an individual basis and also more importantly his partnership with Zimmerman I thought there was a, the makings of a, an understanding there I mean ultimately it doesn't half make a difference when you have an actual natural left sided player playing on the left side of the defence because obviously when Godfrey was in there as good a player potentially as he could be, the, you know the tendency with a right footer is always to come back inside and and almost close off that 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 flank. But but with him, his natural inclination is to open his body and that that'll bring Quintilla into play. That's an important relationship those two need to develop if we're moving forward with a Gibson Zimmerman axis. Obviously, Grant Hanley will have a plenty to say about that. And I saw, not obviously on the bench today didn't get on, but he was doing his post-match warm downs, warm ups. Um, so he's not going to be the other side of the two-week international break. He's not going to be too far away from knocking on the door. And I guess that's what Daniel wants because it's not in anybody's interest just to have two centre-backs now because of all the, the attendant issues we saw last season with injuries, particularly with that group of centre-backs. Add Tim Closer to the mix. Um, but I think there was enough ample evidence on that first hit, bearing in mind it's first game really in two years, that you know you have to take your hat off to him really. That you know That was a... That was an excellent first stage in hopefully what will be um, a, an astute piece of business. And I, I wrote about it after the game. I mean, if he's 27 now, you forget, you, you, you sort of associate him still as this sort of young man coming through on the fringes of the England squad, touted as a little bit like Godfrey now as kind of the future of maybe English centre-backs. Well, his career has basically been parked for two years and he's now getting to the stage where he needs to be playing football. And if Daniel Farker can work with Gibson what he did with Krull which was to basically take a player who's been around the block a little while lost his way a bit put his arm around him giving him the trust and the belief that you're going to come here and play games and we've seen how Tim Krull has blossomed even at his relatively old age um, in terms of it, you know some of the younger elements in the Norwich squad then I think they will look back on Ben Gibson as a very astute piece of business uh, come the end of the season and obviously worth reiterating it is a loan but should they go back up the first time I ask him that will be a permanent deal and he will be a permanent player and uh, at 27 his best years are ahead of him yeah I, good signs from, from Gibson um, you did hint at it a little bit though Connor I should just say Tony's had to step out of the room he's just got to finish off a bit of work so hopefully he'll be back in uh, before the end of the pod but um, you sort of hinted about the build up to, to the goal um, and it was Gibson pushing out a defence which led to it wasn't it but it was kind of Adam Eder where it fell down yeah, it was, and um, it's again. I, I, I wouldn't necessarily sort of put put Gibson as as the guilty party necessary necessarily in, in that case. And I thought he'd have perhaps found it a little bit difficult when he came on. But um, yeah, I, I don't think you can particularly blame Lucas Rupp either. I think the the lad probably should have been brought down a, a little bit earlier than he was. And ultimately, he gets into in, or just on the edge of the D essentially. Then you've got no choice because it's it's either through or go, through on goal or, or you face a free kick. And really, that's not really a trade off. So um, yeah, it was it was part of a probably wider issue maybe because Norwich were, were pushing for, for a goal and, and that created space in behind and, and, and Derby did have joy I, I felt particularly after um, Whitaker came on who, who drove at the back line a little bit more and, and that gave them a, a, a different outlet to what Rooney did so um, yeah it was it was, it was was difficult but I, I, again I, I felt Gibson and, and Zimmerman as Paddy said there plenty of good signs throughout that game and 
um, maybe it helped that it was it was Wayne Rooney they were up against and maybe not Jack Marriott who and we saw the sort of the, the problems that Shawnee Maguire gave um, Christoph Simon a couple of weeks ago for, for Preston and um, maybe maybe that that might be a reason why it looked more comfortable so maybe we, we, we might need to wait until they're, they're sort of up against that sort of striker Scott Hogan for Birmingham I think will be a good test in a couple of weeks for for that sort of mould but um, yeah the goal was was obviously preventable but probably a, a byproduct of Norwich pushing for the game I felt and, and trying to get a win and, and it, it just felt a little bit desperate I, f- I felt after um, obviously after they conceded the goal but, but perhaps a, a little spell before that as well where those sort of passing patient passing um, passages where they were trying to change the picture and go from side to side they they suddenly um, became a bit more a bit more desperate and, and started perhaps playing passes that weren't necessarily the best option at the time and I think that was that was probably the case for the goal to be fair with Ida so um, disappointing but probably a, a byproduct of, um, of of searching for a goal It's easy in hindsight to sit here and say it but Root, Root probably should have taken the yellow card a bit sooner shouldn't yeah. he and, yeah. and got, got Whitaker down Earlier, but I guess he saw Zimmerman there and thought, "Oh, well, hopefully Zimbo's going to do this." But then he got himself in a t- in a um, in a muddle, didn't he? Because Whitaker was turning him inside and out, and yeah, um, it's like I say, easy in hindsight. But he took a yellow card for the team because he had to, because he was through on goal otherwise, wasn't he? And if Zimmerman hadn't have been nearby, that probably would have been a red card. So um, yeah, that was a, a fraught moment. But of course, the, the big moment really, and I, and I feel if if Pukki had scored the penalty, then they would have gone on and yeah. won by at least one goal. I think that, that that would have opened it up and they would have gone on to win comfortably. But the penalty comes, you know, Buendia, nice little back flick in it. Uh, Steepenman starts it, Rook keeps it going. Hernandez looks like the shot may have been heading for the corner flag, but regardless, um, George Evans handles it quite clearly, doesn't he? It's a, it's a clear penalty. But it, I, it was a horrible day before the game, wasn't it, Padden? I, I think the pitch must have contributed. But I guess you can say that perhaps from looking at it again, that P- Pookie didn't think about that enough and that he maybe needed to think about planting his foot that bit more yeah I mean given given he hails from Finland he must have played in some pretty ropey conditions <laughs> yeah. you know you, wind and rain shouldn't be uh, some be alien conditions to him and I doubt with the great respect to Finnish football some of the pitches he's played on are, are as good as Cara Road so yeah it's I don't know maybe it just feels like it sums up not only this performance but maybe the past week or so really that there's events conspiring against Norwich and um, when we do speak to him I'll be interested if he's ever had an episode like that in his long career you know in terms of um, literally just kicked his standing leg over and even then the ball spirals goalwards and just lands on the top of the bar and sort of as Daniel said after the game you know there'll be times they go back in the changing room and um, we'll not know how how on earth they have got a result and, and that feels like they've gone the other way today that you know if that, if that even even when he's sent it off on that trajectory, if it just dips underneath the bar, then we're all sort of laughing about it. And and as you say, and as Daniel said, he felt that is the precursor then to a three or four nil win. But it doesn't happen. And um, I don't think you can really repro- reproach Pookie too much. I mean, he's certainly got enough credit in the bank with the amount of goals he scored for Norwich in, in the yellow shirt. But. Um, I think it's just symptomatic of where the season feels it is at the moment. It's not quite got started and and in the key moments, whether it's what Norwich aren't doing or whether it's a bit of lady luck, it just seems to be running against them. And uh, so I, 
it's hard to sort of come up with a remedy how that turns around I guess it's just hard work and um, you know keep trying to do the right things and and then the breaks will come your back your way but uh, yeah it was in, it was entirely in keeping with that performance today I think that you know they did a lot of good things right but in the crucial moments they wasn't quite good enough and ultimately they got punished mm. by a player who in the crucial moment certainly did produce yeah, sort of summed up the day, yeah. Um, I mean, Pookie worked hard today, um, plenty of running, but uh, Buendia on several occasions, you could see, was trying for to sort of replicate a couple of years ago and slip him into the channels, and it just didn't quite come off because of that three-man defence. They were filling those gaps, weren't they? So um, we shall see. But we've already mentioned that Max Aaron's chance that David Marshall did well, but arguably the even better save already at 1-0, just two minutes after the goal. Um, Oliver Skip uh, puts the cross in and Hugill so determined wins it great header brilliant save from from Marshall now after the break Rotherham away we know that's going to be Paul Warren again he'll he knows how to frustrate Norwich doesn't he they will bomb that ball forward every opportunity they get they'll chuck a set piece in they're a big team and I could well that seems to me to be the perfect game to, to start Hugill ahead of Pookie but you never quite know with Daniel because sometimes those games he sort of goes in the other direction, doesn't yeah. he, and, th- and says, no, we're going to play around them. Yeah, he does. And and I kind of felt it again this week, what, what I felt last week at, at Bournemouth in terms of maybe it, it should have been, a, a, again, he's, he's been thrown on, hasn't he, Jordan Hugo, with, with what, seven, eight minutes to, to go. He needs a bit more time to make an impact than that for me. And um, if you're going to go in that direction, then there's no real purpose of, of having Timo Pukki on the pitch unless you sort of slot him into a deeper position and you kind of end up with three strikers on the pitch taking each other's space and it gets a bit muddled. So um, there, there needs to be, for me, a, a clearer plan as to what Jordan Hugill is and, and what he's been brought on to do because we saw it against Bournemouth. When they get crosses in the box, he did win He did win headers, not to the same effect he did today with that chance, but um, he, he was certainly a nuisance. And I think if, if you've got that over a half an hour, even a 40-minute spell, then as a defender, that's, that's going to be a very difficult half for you and, and Paddy referred to Curtis Davis he, he was very good today um, but it, it could have been a lot trickier for him I think if, if Hugo's introduced a bit earlier because of what he brings he brings chaos I think in, in the area when, when a ball's put in because um, aerially he's he's phenomenal and you saw that with the header because the, derm- the determination to get to that ball in the first place it was a, a fairly sort of overhit cross and he still turned it into a, a very good header that technique wise he gets down and, and sort of bounces off the turf but yeah it's a wonderful save by by Marshall, I mean, he's he's always been a, a very good shot stopper. He was at Norwich, um, and uh, it it was always going to take something probably pretty special to to beat him after that free kick. And yeah, for for all that we've spoken about Wayne Rooney's free kick and the quality of that, I think that that save from David Marshall was up there as well. It, it pretty much is the reason that Derby have walked away from Carrow Road for, with with three points rather than than none. Um, I, I don't necessarily think Hugo will start at Rotherham. I just I can't like you say. I think Daniel Farker would prefer to go in the other option uh, of of a direction and say, look, we we probably need to bypass the way they play and and try and play through them a little bit. But you have to have the variation, I guess. And um, I'm I'm not totally sure either if if he sees that game being a bit frustrating as a game where sort of crosses are, are getting headed out of the box, where we'll see Hugo as an option really. So. Um, it's going to be interesting to see the way he approaches it, but at the moment it, it feels like Adam Eder is, is ahead of Jordan Hugo, certainly in, in Daniel Farker's mind at least. Hmm, interesting. Right, let's take a quick pause. Um, let's grab some half-time orange slices, get a, get on the masseuse's table and uh, you know get ready for the second half and bring you a bit of audio from Ben Gibson and Daniel Farker. 
Look, it's great to be back, I'm not going to lie. Uh, the highs and lows of football, I've missed them for two years, I really have. It's been the, it's been the hardest two years of my life. Um, for other people, that'll sound ridiculous, you know, footballers get paid a great wage, that's what people say. It's all irrelevant if you're, if you're not playing football and you're not happy. So, the highs and lows of football, this is this is what you chase. Today to low, yes, I'm delighted to be back personally, but uh, I'd have traded that for three points. So, it wasn't to be today. As I say, we roll our sleeves up, get, get back to the drawing board, work really hard this week, stick together and we'll, we'll go again. I've no doubt we'll... We'll, uh, we'll start a good run after the international break. Jimmy, you've played against Rooney before at some point in your career, have you? Yeah, um, yeah obviously super talented player, uh, England record goal scorer, shows his, shows his quality. Um, we couldn't quite muster that up, but you know, sometimes I said to Tim there, if he, if he gets beat on his own side of the wall, then I'm going crazy at him. If he whips it and puts it in the, in the top corner from there, sometimes you've got to applaud the finish, but We've got to look at what we can do better, and that's in the that's in the build up to the free kick, to why we give the free kick away um, when we're right up here, and also in in general not to take our chances, not to create more from being so dominant. Has Timu said anything about the penalty in the dressing room? Was it just uh, the wet turf? No, no. Listen, Timu Pukki is absolutely clinical at this level. He missed a penalty, he'll miss more, he'll score more. Um, that's the way it is. Like, it's penalties. It's uh, look. I'm, I'm sure Timu will get a lot of goals this season. He's he, he doesn't have to prove anything to anyone. I'm, I know he'll be frustrated, but he's a top draw player, um, and at this level, he's absolutely clinical. So yeah, he missed it, but he'll score the next one. Yeah, that's football. Um, sometimes it's, uh, it works like this. It's, it's always the same. So when you are uh, on the sunny side and you're on the top position table, then uh, sometimes you come in after game uh, into the dressing room, and you can't even explain how you won this game anyhow. And when you had a sucker punch like we had at Bournemouth, and uh, it felt totally undeserved that we lost this game. Uh, because we dominate this game more or less, especially in the second half, you think, okay, next game, proper performance, then uh, the sun will shine again and uh, luck is a bit on your side and you, you get an even deeper sucker punch. Anyhow, this is how football, football works, yeah, because actually you can't explain someone um, anyhow doesn't know anything about the result when you just watch the game, how you can lose such a game. But it's always the same in football. Yeah, The ball has to find the net. If you don't score, you can't win a football game and that's the story of the game today. Summed up probably by I don't know if he's ever probably done that in his career before, but Timu Puki the slip on the penalty. Um, what can you say? It's just one of them things, isn't it? Yes, exactly. So um, it's it's I find it tough to criticize my players too much today because many many things were there. There was one team trying to, to win this game totally on the front foot, creating chances, and one team spirited and with fighting spirit tried to uh, try to sit deep, park the bus, anyhow to to survive with with the five-man uh, formation. Um, I got the feeling we, we created enough in order in order to score. But the only thing we can do is that the key moments of the game, we were not brutal enough and not switch on and focus enough to, to score. So in the key moments of the game, you have to be there with this attitude. Come on, I score the goal, fully committed and fully convinced. And not like, okay, right now I try to score a goal. So this is what you, what you have to do to be unbelievable brutal in front of the goal. And with many situations uh, today, yeah, of course, a penalty situation without any doubt, um, um, but also many situations. So, um, yeah, when around the box, in the box, uh, instead of being there with a proper strike, we try to play the next pass instead of using this chance really brutally. And this is the only thing I can, can accuse my lads. Yeah, on the other hand, so it's more like we had a game 
a penalty, Max Evans out of five yards, uh, goalkeeper with an unbelievable save, Jordan Hugel, good header, goalkeeper of, uh, with an unbelievable save. Their goalkeeper was man of the match. It uh, says a lot about the, this game today. And then it's always the same. So didn't, they didn't have one chance in the first 87 minutes. Um, we tried everything, brought many offensive thinking players on the pitch, tried to bring three central strikers on the pitch in order to force a result because I got the feeling so our mental attitude is not like we are brutal enough today. Yeah, and then uh, a bit unnecessary loss of the ball and we concede a counter, missed a bit to be there with a pretty quicker tactical foul. And yeah, then they have one situation in the whole game and out of free kick situations. Yeah, when Rooney still took class, he has proved this uh, several times in his career and out of their one situation and were able to score. This is how football works sometimes. And uh, if you don't score the first goal to open them a bit, yeah, if Timo scores a penalty, we don't even have to speak about then they would have to open probably it would be in the end of three or four nil. If you don't score the first goal, then you can even lose such a game. And this is what happened today. We involved pretty, pretty soon. From true crime to football, Brexit to folklore. For more great podcasts from Archant, head to audioboom.com slash channel slash Archant. Right. Um, after the game, I th- there was a lot of anger, certainly on our live updates, which isn't, norm- isn't unusual. <laughs> um, but... Pat, do you feel like the, the the whole situation with football at the moment, and and behind closed doors, and and probably the frustration at life in general at the moment is is seeing a lot of a lot more anger being directed towards Norwich and Daniel Farker from some people than is necessarily fair. Because I, I saw some people saying, is it that they've won one of the last eighteen games or something like that? Um, just, just people piling on and bringing all that stuff back up. But yeah, do, do you think that's fair? Do you think that there really is any genuine pressure on Daniel Farker at this point? Well, I mean, he, funnily enough, because he, he he had to deflect questions about Philip Cocu's um, Derby's manager um, job prospects on Friday, and uh, and he said, talking about that man, that it was ridiculous that. Three games into a new season, after an abbreviated pre-season, the whole backdrop of the pandemic, that a coach was being questioned. But he did go on to say that this pressure comes with a job. If you don't want to handle pressure, you shouldn't be a head coach. Certainly not at the professional end of the game. And uh, you know there was a flipping comment about there's only him, Guardiola, and uh, Klopp haven't been sacked, uh, which I hope doesn't come home to roost in uh, the weeks ahead for that man. But um, the reality <laughs> is, if he keeps losing games, however well they play, however much possession they have. He will be out of a job because um, Norwich are not configured this season to be bobbing along in fifteenth place in the table in his as they were in his first season. That the whole dynamic has shifted now, and and he along with Weber has has done more than most to change that. And it's a testament to him. And however this plays out from here now, nobody should underestimate the job Daniel Farker has done. We could spend another three podcasts talking about the development of young players, the money. He's brought in through the sales of those players uh, as Ben Godfrey prepares to go to Everton. The latest example in case in point, James Madison before that, Jamal Lewis in between. Um, but ultimately, uh, he will be judged in the short term by can he put a team on the part that wins games of football? And if he's not doing that, the nature of the world we live in these days is social media is such a real-time medium. Um, everybody can amplify their thoughts, uh, the touch of a button and a few keystrokes. And... Uh, and that will that will be inevitable. That's an inevitable byproduct of failing to win games of football. Is he under pressure? Yes, um, but he was under pressure 
before he before he started this season uh, as he was last season and the season before because you know uh, if you're a, the Norwich manager slash head coach you're always going to be under pressure um, I don't think he's under any greater pressure at the moment just because they've lost two games because the signs in terms of the performance levels I think are, are there and Stuart Webber is quite a big big one on that you know he's in the past he's, he's often referenced about those type of individuals who might want to have a pop but have they actually seen the games kind of thing and I think anybody who was either fortunate as we were to be in the stadium today or have watched that on Sky could could not really contend that Norwich did a lot of good things right but as I say at the risk of repeating myself you don't win a game you, you don't win this, the game the week before um, if that's to continue over the other side in international break then I'm afraid to say he will not be Norwich's head coach because um, his position will be untenable and you know that is that is the brutal nature of the game but he knows that and he understands that fully um, and he will know better than anyone that he has to start putting a winning team on the pitch yeah that yeah for anyone that watched that game properly you know they haven't lost 3-0 that wasn't an abject performance there wasn't it's not like there's not positives to cling on to I'm, I'm trying to sort of look at it from a positive point of view here but it just Tony, do you, do you get that feeling as well that there's there's like a pent up frustration and anger among Norwich fans at the moment? Because it, it might, you know, it's difficult for us to, to put ourselves in 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 the shoes of, of fans at the moment. We're having to watch from home. It, it you know, just as an example, it, it was my dad's birthday this weekend. Me and my sister thought about getting him a new shirt, and I thought, I don't know if he really wants a new shirt at the moment mm. because. Do you want a new shirt to watch it on a stream at home? It's it's, I, I, it's more like I think I think I'll wait till next year when he hopefully is going to be able to go to games you could again. Have got him a nice formal shirt to watch the stream with. <laughs> suit up. Um, but actually, you could sort of compare it to a long distance relationship in in effect because maybe you haven't seen your partner in six months. Mm. They work in a different country or something, and the small things might cause a big argument. Same thing with Norwich fans. The small things, um, not picking up points for a couple of games. If people were there, could see Norwich were playing well, the atmosphere was a bit more positive, then maybe it wouldn't be such a big deal. But because they haven't been there in, well, it's been six, seven months now, um, haven't seen it in the flesh, seen what's going on, they're just going on to Twitter, going on to Facebook, and seeing a lot of negativity from the people that are negative no matter what happens, because you always get that part online but mm. that's a that's a deeper conversation um so yeah negativity is infectious isn't it so fans that may not necessarily engage much online normally are probably going on there more now and seeing what people are saying and maybe following along with that mm. whereas we don't know the majority of fans might take the positives from today and look ahead but it is it's a completely different game to turning up 25,000 people watching the game going home for a week a lot of fans don't even really do much outside of going to the game watching the game work in the week go to the next game they take it week by week yeah, but it's a massive part of their life yeah so now it's literally the only way you can stay in touch is by looking online or or following the stream so it's changed the game completely hasn't it it has and that's what that's kind of yeah what I mean by the frustration but I like that analogy of a, of a long um, long distance relationship that that does sum it up quite nicely so <laughs> yeah well and and unfortunately there's no sign of that being being in sight but like there were there were a few moments in the game today when I like Gibson went back in the second half and, and he passed the ball back to Krull and I just thought 
if the fans were here, I think that might have been after the goal and he went back to crawl. And I thought uh, if the fans were here, it would have just been a massive groan, wouldn't it? And it is. It's 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 a different sport that we're we're witnessing play out at the moment. Yeah, it is. Um, and, and you're right, I, f- I felt, again, that there were moments, particularly in that second half, where they were so on top, that if they'd just had a little bit extra from, from the fans, it, it would have helped them. But, I mean, I, I was watching a, a German game last night, I think it was um, Union Berlin and, and Mainz, it was sort of on in the background. Um, yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, um, and and their stadium, I mean, it was, it was ridiculous. I, it, it looked so full, it was so full of fans, socially distanced, of course, and um, obviously, totally safe as well, and it was um, it was quite surreal actually watching a game. Like, I kind of felt like I was watching a game from sort of six or seven months ago, even though it wasn't completely full. And you have to say, it really is a, a, an absolute disgrace. I mean, I saw something today about the Albert Hall and people being allowed back in there, but they're not allowed back in football stadiums. And essentially, we're we're letting clubs go to the wall because of it. And it just um, it doesn't it doesn't feel right. And it, it feels to me like there needs to be some serious lobbying. To try and to try and make that happen because we we saw two weeks ago one thousand fans back at Carrow Road a the effect it had on the on the game as a spectacle and how much it improved it how much it, it will have benefited those those fans back in the stadium and 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 equally um, it, it it all looked successful I know the club were, were particularly proud with how it went so it's it's really frustrating and it is a case of of, of where we are unfortunately but um, the fact that. It's it's perceived to be safer, perhaps with with six people in in a pub, um, is maybe a little bit ludicrous than than outside in a, in a, in a stadium in, in open air watching your football team. But um, it's 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 just such a shame that that we haven't seen them back, and that it doesn't look like we're going to see them back for a while. Because yeah, I think it does feed into that that negativity. Because when you watch it through a screen, there is that dis- disconnect, and you kind of. I guess from their perspective, they're probably starting frustrated because it's a game that they should be at. Um, so, so I, I do get it, but um, I, I think you're right because I, I, I kind of felt after Bournemouth last week where um, it was it was a I mean it wasn't a, a brilliant performance by no means, but there were plenty of positives, and that was just um, being drowned out on on social media with negativity. I kind of felt like I watched a different game after I left, and um, that was kind of the case again today. Actually, it, it kind of felt like those watching at home maybe took a lot less from it than maybe we have and we were fortunate enough to, to witness it in the flesh so um, I think it does have an effect and, and you're right they, I think Norwich need them back as well because um, yes you, you need quality and you need dominance but when you've got a, a crowd so sort of close to the pitch like you do at Carrow Road it does make a hell of a difference and um, we saw particularly in the, in the title winning season how many times the, the Barkley and the River End almost sucked in the goal um, Reading sticks out in my head a, a home game that they were 1-0 down in and, and they pulled back two late goals and um, it was it was a, a tremendous atmosphere so um, it, it it will affect them but it's it's the same for everyone isn't it and um, I think that that might be why we're seeing maybe a bit more joy for for teams away from home yeah that, that was awesome until Reading scored the, the equalizer yes, yeah. but that when Zimmerman and Godfrey scored those goals that, yeah that the noise because that 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 was the promotion party starting then wasn't it and everyone got overexcited like oh bugger <laughs> Reading have ruined it <laughs> but yeah well that's a that's the point is um, when it's a nil-nil game 60 minutes in and a bit dull suddenly something sparks the fans back to life and then that must give players like Buendia Hernandez such a lift but without that it's just must just be going through the motions mustn't it yeah like the cruel save what 74th minute I've got here in front of me or um, the Marshall save from Aaron's a few minutes later, but um... on that, sorry, Dave, on that one you mentioned him. We just remembered Cruel before the game. He's come out as the keepers do for the mm. warm up, 
and there's no PA music on at all. Um, and it was literally like he's gone out for a, a stroll in the park uh, to do a bit of training. And he actually shouted to a Norwich official to get the music put on to at least create some sort of artificial sense that this is an actual match day. Um, and that's the thing. I mean, we're talking about it, filtering it through the fans and, and how disconnected they feel. But for the players, it's such an alien environment as well. And the coaching staff as well. Um, so however, I remember after... Michael Antonio scored. He said, that, that, "Was it four goals he scored for West Ham towards the end of last season at yeah, Carrick?" Yes. Yeah. You know how many times in your career? Sorry to remind everybody, but do you score four goals in the Premier League? And it was just like a shrug of the shoulders when the goals went in. You know, there was no even that. Even if he was away from home, you'd have still have had three thousand West Ham fans in there. And uh, you know, the game, the game as we love it, is gone. I'm afraid at the minute, and uh, let's hope it comes back. Yeah, because the players thrive off that adrenaline don't they when there's that buzz ahead of kickoff and or, or any point during the game but uh, ahead of this one the um the, the clip of the Jackson goal in what 2011 was being played a lot wasn't it and that brilliant Chris Gorham and Neil Adams commentary and you see the snake pit everyone piling into the front and that guy falling up over the front and all that sort of stuff and I have to be honest, when I watched that back, I almost felt a little bit emotional looking at it because it was like, oh, it's just, it feels like a, a different universe now. It's it's horrible. Well, even there, there would have been, what, 2,000 Derby fans there maybe? Yeah. yeah. Imagine how wild they would have gone seeing Rooney score that free kick and mm. suddenly their season might have turned corner. But, and again, Norwich fans um, strolling into the stadium, seeing Buendia on the team sheet, that would have given them such a lift. So it's, yes, yeah, just not good at the moment, is it? Strange times. But we will do our best to keep you as connected as, as we can, um, as ever. Pinkin.com for all the the best analysis and updates. Uh, obviously going to be plenty of news at the moment and we'll be keeping you across everything that's going on uh, ahead of the transfer deadlines. Monday is the European deadline at 11 o'clock, 11pm. Uh, and then Friday, October 16th at 5pm is when the domestic loan uh, uh, domestic window sorry, closes, which is the day before the Rotherham game. So we'll, of course, have our usual deadline day live blog and all that sort of stuff but you've got the pink and youtube facebook instagram twitter if you're not already following them but thank you very much for listening to the pod if you're not already subscribed then, then please do and any ratings or reviews are, are very much appreciated but for now a 1-0 defeat we head into the international break we'll see how norwich are looking as they head to rotherham in a couple of weeks time but for now thank you very much for listening and we'll catch up with you very soon <laughs>